folks. Welcome back for another episode of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. This week, we're going to bring you the too-long-didn't-listen version of Camilla's recent four-part Ubuntu hardening series. Basically, we had some uh, listener feedback there that would be great to hear it all summarized in one single easy-to-listen-to episode. So that is what we bring you this week. Plus, we're going to do the usual roundup of security vulnerabilities, looking at updates for Twisted, Rsync, Linux Kernel, DOSBox, and Tomcat, and a bunch of others as well. So uh, let's just dive straight into those. This week, there were 48 unique CVEs that were addressed by the team. And up first, we had an update for Twisted. Uh, this is two different CVEs that were for Ubuntu releases 18.04 long-term support, 20.04 long-term support, and 21.10. In this case, Twisted didn't apply any kind of limit to the amount of memory it would use when parsing the SSH version string from a client or server. As a result, uh, a malicious one could then uh, basically cause it to consume an infinite amount of memory or you know, as much memory as it could until it eventually crashed by running out of memory by providing a really long uh, version string there. So that was limited to 4K to fix that. Uh, 4K should be enough for anyone. As well, uh, a vulnerability in uh, the handling of cross-origin redirects where it would expose cookies and authentication headers in the process and therefore potentially leak sensitive info. They were both fixed for Twisted. We then had an update for Zlib. Uh, this pretty wins the award for the oldest CVE fix this week. Uh, this one goes all the way back to 2018, and yet it was only made public uh, a couple of weeks ago. Basically, uh, Tavis Ormandy from Google Project Zero posted on the OSS security mailing list that he had been able to find a reproducible crashing bug for Zlib uh, when compressing certain inputs. He then went and reported this upstream, only to be told that it was actually fixed back in 2018. But uh, because no CVE had ever been assigned and because Zlib hadn't made any upstream release since then, uh, no distros had picked up this fix as a result. Zlib have now done an upstream release of this and distros have incorporated this now that the CVE has been assigned. But what I guess this shows is that our CVEs are really important to the way that distros do our security patching workflow. Basically, if there is no CVE, there isn't really much of a work item there to work on. Uh, there is cases where we do patch vulnerabilities uh, even without CVEs yet being assigned, but often they do still get CVEs assigned because that is the one, I guess, unique identifier that everyone in the industry uses to be able to know or refer to a particular flaw in a piece of software. So it is really important that if you do find a security issue in a piece of software, you do go to MITRE and get a CVE assigned, or perhaps you can go to that project directly if there are a CV, CNA, a CVE numbering authority, to get them to assign a CVE for it. Uh, you know, we can assign them for certain things shipped in Ubuntu, that kind of thing as well. So yeah, definitely CVEs are really important. They're the one thing I guess the whole software security industry uses to identify this kind of stuff. So yeah, get CVEs assigned and your fixes will get incorporated. All right, after that, we had an update for rsync that actually was just incorporating the same fix as uh, for Zlib there because it copy contains a copy of the same uh, vended code from Zlib. So that was for a bunch of releases, 8 and a full long-term support and 20 of a long-term support as well. Uh, we then had updates for the Linux kernel. So this is for uh, the 4.15 based kernel in Ubuntu 8.04 long-term support, which is then also used uh, for Ubuntu 6.04 extended security maintenance now. Uh, in this case, uh, there was a heat buffer overflow in the handling of IPsec ESP transformations. I actually discussed this back uh, in last week's episode, episode 155. But in that case, a local user could then potentially uh, cause the kernel to crash or get possible code execution as a result. As well, there was a user after free in the network traffic control subsystem that was fixed. Uh, this does require an attacker to be root to be able to trigger, in which case, you know, that's not really a vulnerability or to be able to get root within a user namespace. 
Now on Ubuntu and a lot of distributions, we do enable unprivileged username spaces by default. They're used by a lot of things like, uh, you know, Flatpak and uh, SnapD and the like for sandboxing uh, various applications, that kind of thing, sticking them in their own username space. Uh, so that is, um, and they are enabled by default as a result. Uh, this is the kind of thing though that is often suggested to disable it uh, for various hardening guides, you know, particularly if you are using uh, you know, say uh, server deployment and you're not uh, running, say, you know, flat pack applications, which are desktop applications there, you know, you wouldn't then need this. So yeah, that is the kind of thing that can be done in those circumstances and then does make you a little bit safer. Uh, we also had an update for the uh, 5.13 kernel, which is for Ubuntu uh, 21.10 plus the 5.4 kernel, which is used for Ubuntu 24 long-term support and 18.04 long-term support uh, for the hardware enablement stack there. That includes fixes for both those same two vulnerabilities. Uh, what else? We had an update for DOSBox. Uh, so this is probably yeah, not used in a lot of, uh, I guess, um, probably server environments, but certainly on desktop, I can imagine there are a lot of people using DOSBox out there. So, uh, you know, potentially running old applications or even running uh, games and the like. In this case, uh, a couple of different vulnerabilities uh, from 2019 were patched here. Uh, in this case, there was a heat buffer overflow that could be triggered when parsing uh, batch files, Windows batch files with very long lines. Uh, as well, DOSBox failed uh, to restrict access to files under the PROC file system. And in particular, you know, if you were running something under DOSBox and it could then get access to PROC self-mem, you could imagine it then could get code execution as a result within the process, you know, the context of DOSBox there directly. So that has been fixed as well. After that was an update for Tomcat. Now I need to call out to uh, Evren Yurtsen for uh, providing the patches for this. Uh, backported those from Debian for us for uh, Ubuntu 24 long-term support. Uh, thank you very much for that. Uh, you know, anyone else that you're listening, you know, for packages that are in universe, we're more than happy to uh, you know take your patches and sponsor them. So yeah, if you want to get involved in security patching your favorite distro, you can do that uh, yourself. Or uh, you, can, you, know, you can apply for one of our open positions as well. Go to canonical.com slash careers. But anyway, I digress. Uh, so yeah, uh, th that fixed a bunch of different issues, uh, particularly around uh, various deserialization uh, of objects uh, could lead to code execution as well. Uh, in issues in uh, validation of input lengths could then lead to an infinite loop and that's a CPU based denial of service. And also some issues around handling of HTTP2 request headers that could then essentially allow a request from one user to be exposed back to another as Tomcat got confused about which one uh, corresponded to which user. We also had an update for the Linux kernel for our extended security maintenance uh, customers. Uh, that is particularly for the 4.4 kernel used for uh, 16.04 extended security maintenance and for 14.04 extended security maintenance. Uh, I've actually covered a lot of these issues in previous episodes, uh, so we won't go into that here. Similarly, we had an update for uh, the 5.13 kernel, which is for various uh, Intel IoT platforms. That covered 16 different vulnerabilities there. And uh, yeah, again, I've talked about all of those in previous episodes, so I won't go over those now. Uh, just a couple more to go through. We had an update for Waitress. This is the pure Python implementation of uh, the WSGI uh, interface standard, or Whiskey standard. Uh, essentially, it's an interface specification on how our server and applications should communicate with each other. In this case, uh, it was for a request smuggling vulnerability uh, due to differences in the way that Waitress and any possible uh, web front-end proxy would interpret HTTP requests. And then you could get uh, you know, various parameters and things smuggled through there as a result that weren't intended to be. 
And finally, we had an update for H2, the database engine. In this case, uh, a couple of different vulnerabilities, one in the handling of, uh, in the deserialization of untrusted data that could lead to code execution, as well um, crafted connection URLs could also potentially lead to remote code execution as well too. So they've been fixed for H2. And that is it for the week in security updates. So the other thing that we're bringing you this week is that uh, due to some listener feedback, uh, we've decided to bring you essentially, it's not really a fifth part in the Ubuntu hardening series, but it's more a summary of the first four parts that we brought you over the last four episodes. We've had some listener feedback that uh, the amount of detail there uh, is obviously really beneficial, but also hard to kind of grok in a single uh, listening. So we've put together uh, this summary. Camilla's gone to a lot of work uh, to bring that to you. So yeah, sit back and uh, you know you will hear, uh, I guess, the condensed version of Ubuntu hardening uh, that has been discussed across the last four weeks. Hello, listener. This is going to be a quick episode, and so I will make a quick introduction for it. During our last four episodes, we talk about how to harden our Ubuntu systems, making it more robust and, dare I say it, more secure. However, four episodes is quite a lot and not everyone is willing to listen to several minutes of my awesome voice, so I am here today to fix that and give you an episode that is a summary, a too long didn't listen, if you will, of those previous four episodes. So let's get going because today is no day for delays and let's talk shortly and succinctly about things you can do to harden your Ubuntu system. Let's start with hardening measures you can apply to your system whilst installing it. Number one, encrypt your disk. Input and output operations might take a little while longer to happen, but if your hardware can take it, that might not even be an issue. Do remember though, that every time the device is shut down, when you turn it back on, you will have to decrypt the disk before using the operating system, which in turn means inputting a password to get things going. So maybe only do this if you have a system where this won't be a hindrance. Oh, and don't lose your password, or else you'll end up with a disk full of pretty but uninterpretable characters and no functional operating system at all. Number two, Create a swap partition or a swap file to get the most out of your RAM. Availability is also a cybersecurity concern you should have, and providing your system with some swap space not only buffs it by giving it more RAM memory to work with, even if it is only a wannabe RAM, but it also allows you, as a system administrator, to be better prepared to face memory issues that might come to haunt your system, since you can monitor your swap space usage and use this as a reference to know if your system might be feeling a little bit overloaded. Avoiding unnecessary crashes just got a whole lot easier. Shoo out of memory manager. A side note though, Check your system requirements so that you set up swap in a way that fits your system's needs, or else, instead of making your device work better, you will only make it work harder. Number three, partition your system. Put var and home in different disk partitions and avoid all that log file backup or those kitty videos from flooding your disk space and forcing your critical processes to stop execution because there is no space left in the system. Oops. Maybe we should also take some time to update the log backup script and to remind users that the server is no place to store videos, even if they are adorable. And while you're at it, maybe also add temp to its own partition, 
World Writable Temp is a well-known attacker target and grounding it and sending it to the corner to think about its bad behavior might be a good way to avoid possible attacks, especially considering that different partitions can be set to have different permissions. And finally, number four, strong passwords. This shouldn't even be in this list because you already use strong passwords when setting up your users during install, right? What? I'm not nervous because I definitely need to change my password from security 2022 to something a lot better. You are. With an installed system, our hardening journey is far from over as we now need to set everything up securely before getting our service and its related applications running. How to proceed? Number one, Ubuntu does not enable a password for the root user for a reason. And so recommendation number one is just leave root and its password alone. Leave it there hibernating with all of its amazing and yet destructive power over the system. No root user password, no successful brute force attacks, not even through SSH. An attacker in a regular user shell is a lot less scarier than an attacker in a root shell. Use sudo instead and configure sudo permissions for your users appropriately in the Etsy sudoers file. You get to choose what commands each user can run as a super user. So take your time to set these up. Give each user the least they need to perform their tasks and stay safe. I know, it's amazing. You get to control what your users are allowed to do in your system. What? Has this always existed? Yes, my friend. Yes, it has. So it's about time you start configuring it properly. Number two, use SSH instead of Telnet for remote login because you are not a caveman that requires your data to be transmitted over the network in plain text. Yes, cavemen knew not to use Telnet and they also knew that even when using SSH, they had to properly configure it before using it or else not even encryption would save them. If you doubt me, go do your research. This is 100% historically accurate. My fingers are definitely not crossed behind my back as I say this. Disable root access through SSH, use SSH2 instead of SSH1, set up allow lists and deny lists for users and IP addresses, and set a maximum number of login attempts where all of the basic things cavemen in our planet did when setting up their SSH servers whilst sitting around their very cozy and newly discovered fires. Plus. They also set up private key login for their SSH servers, not because they were too lazy to type in their passwords. No, they had passphrases for their keys, but instead because it is a well-known and trusted way to verify the identity of whoever is trying to connect to the server. Passwords by themselves sometimes just aren't enough. So... If cavemen were able to discover fire and properly set up their SSH servers, then it is more than your obligation to at least do the same, if not more. Oh, and don't forget to properly set permissions in the authorized keys file. I mean, come on guys, properly setting permissions in a very important file in your operating system is a lot easier than hunting, foraging, surviving in the menacing prehistoric earth environments and that's why cavemen did it as well. Number three, can we really call it hardening of the system if we don't consider hardening of the one and only, 
the star of the show, the kernel itself. The sysctl command in your Ubuntu system is there to attend to all of your kernel hardening needs, allowing you to define kernel configurations, but not requiring you to reboot the machine to get them to stick. With sysctl, you can do so many things that I wouldn't be able to summarize it all here, and I am already in a pinch because I am very bad at making my scripts short, and I need to keep this one short. So for now, I will give you a little taste of what sysctl can do to get those curiosity juices flowing. Restrict users allowed to read kernel logs and block IP packet forwarding for devices that are not routers. Was I able to make you interested? Well, I know I won't get the answer to that, but what I do know is that both those measures I mentioned can already take you a long way when you think of hardening your system, and they are two amongst many available. So get those fingers typing and those kernel options researched, and you, my friend, are in the right path to get your system hardened. Number four, set up a host-based firewall. They are efficient in blocking unwanted network traffic, they can be configured to your host specific needs, and they are portable, since when the host migrates, its firewall goes with it. Plus, it's very easy to set up. You can use the Ubuntu tool known as the Uncomplicated Firewall, or UFW, to help you, and it gets you started on protecting yourself against the harsh, harsh internet ecosystem that lies out there. Oh, and don't even try to argue with me and tell me about your network-based firewall and how it already does the job for you, because I just discussed it in the long version of this series, so to make it short, I will say one simple word to get my point across once again. Layers. Number five. Remember when we were talking about partitioning your disk, your file system? Well. Let's kick that up a notch and configure each partition individually, setting permissions and defining usage configurations for each one of the different partitions in our disks. We are all unique in this huge world we live in, and so are our partitions. Treat them with the love, care, and individuality that they deserve, and they shall return all of your efforts in the form of a more secure system. If you have a network shared partition, for example, why not set the no exec option for this partition and avoid executables to be run from an area in your device that could be considered untrustworthy at best and devastatingly dangerous at worst. Don't trust users, I always say, specifically when they come for your files through the network. Another good option would be to set a partition as read only, if it is a partition that requires no more permission than this. The etcfs tab file is the one you can go to in order to set all of these configurations, which will be applied at mount time exactly during system boot. Last but not least, number six, don't ignore your logs. Set up a nice logging system for your device. Use syslog or journal to do so, and yeah, sure, thank me later, I won't complain if you do. But seriously though, how can you expect to maintain and troubleshoot a device if you don't know what is happening with that device? And how do you expect to keep a system secure if you can't maintain and troubleshoot it? Yes, logs can be annoying to look at and analyze sometimes, but that is why utilities such as syslogd and journalD exist to help you search through those logs. 
Syslog even allows you to send all of your data to a centralized server, which can then focus exclusively on processing log data that it gets from various network devices. You have all of that goldmine of data at your feet, and all you need to do now is use it. Ubuntu has the tools that allows you to do that, but it doesn't have the will. That, my friend, needs to come from you. So, to show how important it is to set up and use logs, I will end this suggestion with a quote, because everything that includes quotes is usually considered important, right? So, knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. Aristotle. There, now go get some logging set up. Okay, next step is installing your application so that you can get your service up and running. I'm not even going to go into detail about using secure software, setting up this software including security configurations, and using encryption when sending data through the network, because that is obvious enough, right? If not, then I'm sorry to tell you, you might need to listen to the long version of this. I will go into detail though, not much, but a little bit. If you want much, go listen to parts 1, 2, 3, and 4 on what you can do after you set up your service and on what you can do until forever to keep your hardened system from going soft on you. So let's jump in. Number one, one or two network services per device. Don't make your server a jack of all trades because that is a recipe for a hack of all spaces. If you are going to use the network to expose your service, maybe incorporate it as a part of the services architecture as well. Have more than one device running server software, which makes up a part of the entire provided service, and have those devices communicate with each other through the network. Different server applications in different devices will isolate each relevant component and avoid a complete meltdown of the service in general in case something is compromised. Divide and conquer. It's like we don't say this enough. Number two. Close unused ports in your system and disable unnecessary services and demons. By not doing so, you are only increasing the attack surface for your system, meaning you are giving more possibilities for an attacker on how to attack you. Less is more, and the bare minimum should be enough. Be sure new installs and new updates don't open up ports you don't want to be opened and don't bring in new files, scripts, or executables that might compromise you. Keep a continuous eye on everything that is running in the background. Just because you can't see it, it does not mean it can't be hacked. Number three, check your file permissions and change them if necessary. Defaults were made to be overwritten and you don't need 777 files lying around in your system anymore, do you? Know your resources and set permissions accordingly. Correctly setting up users and groups is implied here, especially considering that users and groups will define who can and can't access a file in the system. Plus, disable the setUID and the setGID bit for executables that don't need it. When researching for privilege escalation techniques in Linux, Find set UID binaries in the system is the first technique to show up. So that should be enough of a warning to you that an executable should only be allowed to run as another user in case it is extremely, and let me say that again with emphasis, extremely 
necessary, or else it might just be another day, another root shell for some random attacker. Number four, the last one in the bunch, install some third-party software to help you keep your system safe. We're all in this together. A quote from a song in a teen musical, I am totally not ashamed to admit I watched too much when I was a bit younger, used to say, and that applies for the cybersecurity community. Software that can help you better the security in your devices is plenty out there. And here, today, I will mention a few of them that you can check out and possibly use in order to harden your Ubuntu operating system even more. Obviously, since this is a summary, we are doing this the fast way, so let's get listing. Fail to ban Snort and Suricata for intrusion detection and prevention, the Google PAM package, which allows implementation of two-factor authentication for your Ubuntu users, ClamAV for malware detection, the Mozilla TLS configuration generator to help you securely generate configuration files for well-known applications, and Finally, AppArmor, or possibly SE Linux, for mandatory access control that will complement the discretionary access control you already set up with your file permissions earlier. To finish this all off, don't forget to keep your packages up to date, to use shred instead of remove to get rid of files containing sensitive data in your system, and to continuously go back and reconsider all of the previously mentioned points so that your system can securely keep up with changes that are being made around it. The world won't stop spinning and technology won't stop evolving, so your server cannot afford to not be maintained and updated on a regular basis, or else all of your initial hardening will be for naught. That is all for today, friends, and I hope you enjoyed it. It was a quick one, but it was an episode made with love. Feel free to share your thoughts on any of our social media platforms. And for now, I bid you farewell and until next time. Bye. And thanks as always for that, Camilla. All right, uh, that takes us to the end of this week's episode. As usual, if you want to get in contact with us, you can reach us at securitydubuntu.com. Uh, you can also find us hanging out in the Ubuntu-security channel on the libero.chat IRC network. As well, uh, we are on Twitter at Ubuntu underscore sec as well. Uh, so thanks everyone for listening again for another week. I'll be back again with you all next week. But until then, remember, keep calm because we've got your back and I'll speak to you soon. Bye. <laughs>